when you walk through an art museum, what happens? You see some interesting things. You see some not so interesting things. <laughs> and if you're like us at all, you're probably a little bit sleepy. Well, grab a cafecito and listen up. It's Art Slice, a palatable serving of art history. We are both artists, so we look at art history through that perspective. We cover the artists you know and those that have been ignored for so many different reasons. We look at the context of the time. We compare it to today. We don't dumb anything down, but, and this is a big but, hey, we like to have a good time, okay? Nos gusta to goof <laughs> around, all right? We have hungry pantry no, bonds that no, might startle you. It's a long story. We, we feed them our materials. Art is just a visual language that is open for anyone to interpret. So if this all sounds good to you, join us on Art Slice, a palatable serving of art history. You are listening to something rather than nothing. Creator and host, Ken Galante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast, and we're chatting with uh, Jerry Shepard, a uh, writer, a uh, thinker, world creator. Uh, Jerry, uh, the, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on. Ken, I'm so excited to be with you. Thanks so much for uh, opening this conversation. Yeah, I I, I really appreciate it. Um, Prior to jumping on right here, uh, Jer- listeners, uh, Jerry and I were talking about we're, we're talking about writing, uh, you know, and and then you know, being a writer, uh, at least for me, in my opinion, you know, a particular uh, thing to do uh, to tr- try to get the right words and link them together and uh, kind of create worlds. And Jerry is somebody who's done that throughout her life, and uh, so. Uh, when Jerry and I were talking, I was saying I'm just so interested in what it's like uh, to, to to write and, and and to work on that craft and to teach it and to collaborate. So Jerry, I wanted to jump right in and and and, and ask you about uh, you know writing and your new uh, work at Fault and creating Fault Lines uh, series, uh, which is a big jump for you we'll get into that but (laughs) like so bring us into right now like what's what's going on with you with you doing this and what what are you creating okay so it's really interesting when I decided to and again we'll get into the leap that this was but when I decided to get into fiction um you know a I was really burnt out from the the writing world that I had been in and I really wanted to reconnect to the things that made me excited and just kind of lit my soul up. And I remember just really loving science fiction when I was a kid. And I actually was reading the Expanse series by James S. A. Corey, amazing partnership duo that they're Hugo award winning, really incredible writing. And it got me excited again. I said, Oh, this is, this is what I have to write. This is what I have to write. I have to go in this science fiction world. And I had no clue what to write at that time. Um, But it was in the beginning of the pandemic. And when the race protests were going on around the country at the same time, and just so much divisiveness over so many topics that I actually didn't even start from a place of building the world. Where I started from was this place of, I felt like I was all alone in the center lane and like all of my friends on the left and on the right and on the extreme and the top and the bottom and wherever, they all were just against each other. And I really wanted to focus on 
what our common humanity was and how we can connect. And I, I feel like I've always done that in my writing, but that was that was the seed that started this whole story. And that's why the motto in the first book is actually be gloriously human. And I really wanted to just, I wanted to focus on what brings us together as, as a human people. Yeah. I, 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 I love that. Be gloriously human. And uh, thanks for bringing it to the, to the backdrop. Of course, um, as I mentioned to you, I, I lived out in Wisconsin for a bit. And, you know, Wisconsin politics are pretty darn wild because the world and the, sometimes the nation kind of peeps in and says, what the, what, what the heck's going on? And, of course, uh, you know, steeped, you know, history of, of, of conflict. And it's just it was interesting for you to talk about, you know, within within that. And um, I know in, in reading about um, the book and the series is that what we're looking at. Uh, the way you describe it is kind of more of the connections amongst humans from different type of um, perspectives. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, what type of world, uh, <laughs> what type of world exactly? I just get into the grit. What does the world look okay. like that, you, that, that you're creating? Tell us what it looks like, what's going on in it. And right. like, what's the problem? <laughs> I love this. This is kind of like, you're going to get a little bit of the elevator pitch, if you will here. So That's awesome. it's, um, it's a globally, racially, gender, and age-diverse ensemble of characters, and they are telling the story of Earth after the melt. Um, however, un- unlike so many uh, stories where disaster happens, this is not dystopian. It's not apocalyptic. You know, humans have done what humans have always done. We've adapted. And so there are city ships out at sea where people live. There are impossibly tall skyscrapers where people live. Um, the real struggle is is still between humans. Um, it's between, you know, there, we've got a socialist society. We've got a fiercely independent society. There are off-world colonists, indigenous nations, Um the mobs and mafias, they've, they've moved out onto the waters too. Those are now fleet families. And so, you know, there's still a lot of, it's a lot of that geopolitical division and kind of like factional groupings, much like you would see in like, you know, a George R. R. Martin book where it's like the groupings uh, of people. Mind you, within that, because it's science fiction, I have been able to have so much freaking fun with like creating some really cool things. Like, there's tsunamic defense, like how have we learned to fight against Mother Nature, even as Mother Nature is taking over, you know, taking her her throne back from us? And, you know, what uh, sorts of energy resources do we have and how are people traveling and what do humans look like? You know, there's a little bit of a transhuman element where it's like people are getting different types of implants and whatnot. And honestly, that a lot of this stuff what's crazy is in this world build is it, it really exists today. Um, it's, it's just, I just take a a lot of today and, and, and I expand on it or I I bring a little imagination to it. And this is maybe another topic. I don't want to sidebar too much, but I used a lot of niche experts, um, to, to help create this world in a way where that pseudoscience and that pseudo future, could could have buy-in and be very real yeah well that's excellent that's excellent to do i know i can speculate about science and other things in my head but i know going up against any pro or somebody well versed in it <laughs> i'm gonna defer very quickly um right. the, the uh, best. i hate those bad descriptions you read on like uh, the 
free sci-fi movies that you get on whatever streaming service you have. And as soon as I'm like one line in and I can't even buy in, I'm like, oh God, I just don't want to be that. Don't let me be that. Don't yeah. let me be the people who have to like blow up the core of the earth in order to cool it or something strange like that. Yeah. And, you know, the making sure that everybody understands the differences between uh, event horizon and wormholes and things like that. And just to be yeah. so uh, so bringing in that science and, of course, in the future there, um, want to want to pop out a little bit and and, and talk about um, the uh, the conceptual uh, Jerry okay. and um uh, and everybody uh, definitely check out uh, the Fault Line series, um, and, and Jerry and I will tell you how to how to access that later on. But um, uh, just just a wonderful start uh, to the series, and uh, and of course we're here with the author Jerry Shepard. Jerry, uh, gonna hit you with 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 the big question. I'm always talking art and philosophy on the podcast. Um, the big thing I know you were excited and you had been thinking about uh, in creating now and the, what you're doing uh, over time in writing is what is art? What, mm -hmm. what have you been trying, trying to create? I know you've been trying to, you know, create yeah. art. So what is it? What is it? Um, for me, art is, is what connects us. Um, I believe that we are, I mean, not just I believe, science believes, study and research believes that we are made as humans to connect. And, um, you know, not to get too, like, weird and sciencey on you, but there's... Oh, weird and sciencey is fine on this podcast. All right. So there's, like, in our actual human brains, there's, like, white matter and gray matter. And, like, the white matter, and I'm sure there's going to be some neurologist who says I've got, like, these two mixed up. We'll fix but it in the notes if we need but to. one of them is... Um, it's it's like kind of creating like the silos in your brain like okay this is the part of your brain that's uh just for language and this is the part of your brain that's just for math the other part that that gray part i believe <laughs> is the part that causes connection and it helps the different parts of our brains connect and um that actually is fueled by story and when we have connections like that then we're better able to connect with other humans and i just i just believe that I have such a passion for story. I have such a passion for using story to connect people, to make sure that they can relate to one another. And that to me, that is art. Art is this, it's this place where, is this place where humans find commonality. And, you know, I may like look at you, Ken, and be like, oh, you know, you're, you're out there on the, the West coast and, you know, and I'm, you know, here in the Midwest and, you know, we're, you're, you're a guy and I'm a woman. And there's like, we could probably, and, and our society is lined up for us to find all of the ways that you and I might be different. Yeah. But as soon as we start talking, even when we were just talking before, before we started recording today, you start to find commonalities. Sure. And when you do that, there's compassion and there's connection and, and, it's honestly, it's the, the only way that I think we can move forward as people. So that's for me, art is stories and stories are there to help us connect. Yeah. I, and I love that. I loved when, um, I've been doing the show and, and, and talking to different types of artists, but talking about stories, talking mm -hmm. about stories in particular. And I think, 
um, thinking about uh, writing. Um, in literature, uh, for me, and I, I don't delve deep, deep, deep into it on the show because it kind of cover a lot of different things, but literature is just so foundational for me, I think maybe in terms of identity and imagination mm -hmm. or thinking about what's in, what, what is, what is, uh, possible. You've been writing your whole life, Jerry, and, yeah. and, and, and working and, and, and doing this. I want to ask a question. I'm also like a, a labor guy. I work for a union and I think about work and about work that people do and creativity. What, what is it, what is it like to, write uh for hundreds and thousands of hours as you know as a craft as a as a work to do what what's what's that experience like for you in doing it Whew. it's a <laughs> it's a roller coaster so um i would say that it's it it's a little i mean for me i was I believe it's my purpose and I've tried to not write at times when writing <laughs> has itself burned me out and I'm not successful at that. Um, I, I end up, I, I can't help it. I, I have to, I have to write, like I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm like, that makes me, you know, ideas light up and I have to write them down. But yeah, it's, uh, I think anybody who goes into an art, has to under has to go into it for that love of that art. And I don't care whether you're painting or acting or singing or writing or, you know, creating music. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, sculpting, whatever you have to go into it for the art. And I think there are a lot of artists who go into their craft because they want to be rich. They want to be famous. Sure. You know, it, those are like these two myths that have been fed to us um, specifically in our Western culture. And, and you have to know that if you're using your craft as a business, it is a business. <laughs> you're going to have to work. And, um, you know, I, I remember it was, it was 2016. I wrote eight full length books and I, Whoa in one book in one year and Whoa. I was crying. I remember sitting at my computer and just writing. And this was when I was in my co-writing world and I, I'm like, okay, I have this deadline and I, I physically could not keep my eyes open. And so my eyes were closed and I was typing and I had carpal tunnel so severely in both of my hands that I was crying as I was typing. And yeah, it was total burnout. Yeah. Um, but every time that I've burned out in writing, I've, as opposed to giving up writing because I just can't, I've changed directions and I've said, okay, well, how else can I do this writing? You know, what else can I do with this writing? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a job. It's a job. And, and as much as, it's a passion and I love it and I love the craft and I love the art, you know, you're going to have marketing, you're going to have to deal with publishing, you're going to have to deal with distribution, you're going to have to pay the stinking bills, you're going to, yeah. if you go on the publishing side, I had a publishing house for a while, you're going to have to pay your author's royalties, you're going to have to pay your editors, I mean, like, it's, it's a job. And, yeah. and so um, you really have to, to take that into account. And for a lot of people, 
if they don't want to accept that, that's okay. But then your writing can be a hobby. And, and I, again, I think all of those same things could apply to any of the arts. Yeah. Thanks for uh, a, a peek inside there. Um, uh, Jerry, one of the things I love to do more than anything is going to uh, comic cons or science fiction uh, uh, <laughs> conventions. So like recently in the last week or two, there was the Rose City uh, Comic Con uh, in, in Portland, Oregon. And, um, I tell you, it was such, it was such a thrill, uh, for me because I was able to, um, run into, uh, five or six folks that I've had on the podcast, but not only that, you know, being around authors and writers that I really enjoyed and just, it's, it's so much fun for me. And I know, uh, you and I have chatted just a tiny bit about how, you know, with, with the, you know, the, the series you're creating and moving into this, that it's opened up kind of the world of science fiction or that, that mm-hmm. field, which is a fascinating area. What are your, what are your uh, just open like impressions as far as the, the newness sure. of the experience and what you've learned and seen? It has been an adventure. <laughs> so I came from nonfiction primarily. I mean, a few other things. Or when I did my children's books, it was I was in a lot of school events. So this is not that. <laughs> and so um, it's it's um, at once both an intimidating and an and a welcoming environment at the same time. And um, you have to go in with an open mind and, and I, gosh, I, you know, you hate to speak to stereotypes because stereotypes can be damaging, but they also exist for a reason. And there's something to be said about, um, the sci-fi conventions, the comic cons, the fan conventions, that there are a lot of people there who maybe weren't accepted in other parts of, of, society, whether it was in their school or in their, you know, communities or, you know, whatever it is, this is a place when you go to these, these conventions where like everybody is accepted. And, um, if you are somebody who can be a part of that movement of accepting others, you can really do well, um, in them, but yeah, it's, you know, you might have somebody, in a full fur costume with a dragon head come up and like, you know, take your hands in theirs. And you're like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> gonna... experience. Um, but then you also will have um, just an incredible, like mutual support amongst the creators. And um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And once I realized that I didn't need to like put on any kind of persona when I went to these and I was just going to be me. Um, and honestly, you know, when people see like the, uh, <laughs> the, the middle-aged suburban woman at these things, they, they, you know, I'm actually the odd man out and, but they're just as accepting of me. And um, I think it's fits there. Everybody fits there, right? <laughs> You really do. And it's just once you put yourself in that mindset to to be a part of that, it's just um, it's a very joyful environment. Yeah, it's I I do. um, You know, it's like any community. There's 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 aspects of it that, 
you know, run foul and some that are super, you know, I think about the kind of, you know, elements, I think maybe with the misogynistic elements, sometimes you'll find deeper, you know, in the crevices of the sci-fi and gaming, things like that. Not to tarnish everybody, but you know, like any community has its, has its bits and pieces. But I think one of the, one of the things overall uh, in, in, in the environment is kind of like, how a lot of uh, interesting and wild ideas, you can kind of communicate them like more freely, right? Because we think about our interactions in general society a lot of times. It's not like, you know, you're going to wave high your freak flag. (laughs) Like, I mean, I I guess I do. I made a life out of doing it, I guess. But like, not everybody's going to be like, I want to talk about this, you know, weird thing. And it's just, the ear feels a little bit freer for me. I mean, that's been my impression. Yeah. It is. And it's really interesting. Like I was like opposite um, one gentleman and uh, at one, I don't remember, it was somewhere in Iowa. I have done so many this year. I've lost track, but he, he was a university professor at like the university of Chicago, huge science guy. But he had this zine that was all like, it's, it was uh, down the research, uh, down the research rabbit hole. And like, I, it just freaking cracks me up. And like, yeah. it's the kind of stuff that only would exist in, in a space like this. And he talks about like, he has one called space is sexy or is it? And it talks <laughs> about what yeah. sex would actually be like in space versus the way they romanticize it in like every sci-fi show ever. And it it's hilarious. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, okay, this would only exist in this space. And I've actually used some of his research you know, to influence the second book in the, in the, in the fault line series even. So um, there are things that exist in that space that belong in the world and um, that wouldn't exist otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I like a lot of the DIY elements you find, you know, with, within the zines and I got to admit my, my, for myself, um, I don't think it was a matter of snobbery or anything. I just wasn't in close contact with a lot of like independent presses and zines and and things like that. And I was, as I've done the podcast, I've become a lot more connected into these phenomenal independent creations that are just fantastic. They're just independent and small and you just happen upon them and zines and kind of mini presses. And a lot of that has really kind of pulled me in and, just I'm pausing at those sections and spending my time there where in the past is, you know, I just yeah. kind of went more quickly by it. Um, you seen Absolutely. some of that development for yourself or coming in contact with it at the con? I have, like I have. And, and this, some of this is also um, from my experience just in the publishing world in general. Um, I always, I tell people, I, I sort of took a lot of back and side doors into publishing because I worked, I've worked with traditional publishers, um, but they brought me in to like write for other people, you know? So it was like, I was always kind of like backdooring it into like the traditional publishers. And, um, I kind of have an analogy about the the publishing world. It's like for decades and decades, people, there were there were gatekeepers behind this huge, beautiful gated community. And it it was the big six, then the big five, and now it's the big four, which should tell you something <laughs> in this gated yeah. publishing community. And you know, it, you couldn't get in, and they were the guards of the gate, and there was nothing you could do. But every once in a while there might be somebody like on the edge of that gated community who'd look over the edge and go, Oh, but hey, I 
I kind of, I like what that person there is doing. So let me invite them in. So these are some of like those niche publishers and the, the side, the, you know, side doors, if you will. And then after a while, people just got tired of it and they're like, fine, you don't want us in your gated community. We're going to build a tent house, tent city right outside of it. And I think little by little, like the people on the edges of the gated community are like, dang, they look like they're having fun over there. And I think it's just, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's there, the, the gated community still exists, but now there are some of these people who will invite other people in behind the gate, even though they didn't follow the protocols to earn their way there. Yeah. Um, and there's this, you know, rock intense city. So just, you know, you don't have to, there's not just one way into publishing anymore. And, you know, just find your neighborhood and have your party. As, and that's what I think you got to do. I, today I do traditional and I do independent and, you know, it depends on the book. Yeah. It depends on who I'm trying to reach. There are like a thousand things that play into that. And, you know, everybody's like, Hey, I want to be on the shelves of Barnes and Noble. Okay. Well you can do that. That's great. There are a thousand other avenues that are just as, just as worthy. And it depends on what each individual artist wants, what that, what that story needs what that audience, where that audience is going to find that story. And um, yeah, I, I see a lot of that independent stuff at the, at the conventions. And some of these people are like, they're like, they're the best authors and artists. Yeah, geni- never you've run into geniuses, you know, on the, yeah. geni- the genius on the corner, the corner, yeah. you know, on the corner. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. Um, Jerry, uh, talking talking writing talking uh literature um i you know we talk a lot about you know some of the components of you know the business around it but you know going jumping back in deeper into the art and 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 the type of uh writers maybe that where you lose your mind over like you're possessed like that type of thing um uh for me uh, that's always the biggest draw from when i was younger that i will lose myself in the writing I'm thinking of, yeah. um, for me as, uh, writers like, um, Faulkner, um, uh, Kathy Acker, um, a lot of science fiction, Octavia Butler. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, Kerouac. Um, I love a lot of Victorian, uh, literature and Henry James. And this is the stuff like, you would, de- I would devour, and, and you're a writer, and people would devour your stuff because it's like, oh, the, it, it, it's mm-hmm. so inspiring. Who's that for you? What are the type of writers where you like, you want to talk, you want to talk, no, seriously, like you want to talk writing, you got to be talking about yeah. some of these folks. Who's that for you? Absolutely. I mean, I would say if I'm going to s- hop on like today, yeah. totally James S.A. Corey, which is actually two different people. It's, uh, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank and I. Oh God, I hope I got that right. <laughs> it's uh, they 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 were a partnership that that uh, wrote the Expanse series and um, yes, yeah, so they are definitely my number one right now. Yeah. Um, and and I can tell you some of those reasons why. But I'm trying to think about some other ones. Like growing up. Um, I was such a little dreamy girl. I read all of like the L.M. Montgomery, you know, yeah. Anna Green Gables series. Oh my gosh. Um, 
Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, I know, right? I totally dated myself there because, and of course, I read all of my my kids. We read all of the we read all of the the Harry Potters. We read all of the yeah. the Mocking Jays and Hunger Games and all of that. So, um, so when I'm giving you like these different names, you can hear I'm kind of all over the map. I also, you know, I I like an occasional really. Oh my gosh, Laura, is it Laura Hillenbrand who yeah. did like? Yeah. Un- oh my gosh, Seabiscuit yeah. and Unbreakable, like. I can get into a really great biography too. Um, Fran's a hell of a writer. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And you want to read about a bit of a tortured soul when it comes to to the the process around her okay, writing. Okay, I'm going to check that out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting stuff. But um, I, I, I just don't have one thing. I mean, there are so many things. I would say that I'm actually. I tend to be a really slow reader, very slow, because I will read a line I like, and then I'm like, ooh, I got to read that line again, <laughs> and I'll read it again and again. So I'm I'm very, very slow at reading. Um, I would say the very first, very, very first book ever when I was younger that just absolutely captured me, I'm usually embarrassed to admit because you're going to hear the name of the author and you're going to think something very different than who he is. All right. Um, Battlefield Earth. Yeah. Which I read when I was like 14 yeah. and it's by L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I know there's the whole, the whole, the, the whole Scientology thing, but I mean, Not as a, as a writer, some... no, as, as, as a writer, I mean, he, he's somebody to be reckoned with. Somebody to be reckoned with as a writer, you know, yeah. no doubt. It really was. And, and and the movie was horrible. So anybody who's hearing this, who's I thinking. I recall that, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Had nothing <laughs> to do. And what's interesting is I find that here I am, um, well, gosh, like 30-some years later after the first time I read that book. And I still see some of his themes make their way into my own writing. And... But yeah, it's it's hard to say that there's just one that I like. I just I love reading. I'm a very very slow reader because I want to like eat and taste every single word. Yeah, that's on the page. Yeah, I, I totally totally understand that. Totally understand that, particularly uh, in 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 the art that you make. Um, uh, Jerry, I wanted to ask you another one, just uh, one related to art. When you talked about art, was and I really love when you were talking about stories and you know, the, the, the communication component, um, you know, both as an artist and in the art itself. What do you think, um, what do you think the role of art is uh, right now? And just one little comment before I let you answer, you got, um, you got the, uh, elements in, in your book, in your series of kind of, um, temperature rising, climate change and, 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 and things like that. Um, and I interject that within, you know, you, what you've created just with the ideas, what is the role of art? And is there something now <laughs> that the role of art might be different? You know what I'm saying? If you identify climate change or any of other, the world ills as being at a, you know, at that state. So role of art in, is it different right now today in September, 2022? You, you know, um, Art plays a role in having very important conversations. 
I don't know that it's different than it's always been. Um, there's uh, the, the the famous play Our Town. It's Thornton Wilder. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and and he has this line. I'm not going to get it exact. So anybody listening, look it up because he says it far better. Um, but basically, he says that um, our history that history is told by the artists. And and if you think about that throughout the the course of history, it's true. You know, like the the musicians and the concertos that were told Shakespeare, who who told his his stories that mocked the royalty, but really kind of highlighted that that divide between the classes um, of that time. You know, um, the the Greeks and Romans uh, telling the story of their belief system uh, through the stories and, and the, the visual art around their gods and how, you know, um, the gods would play and the people would pay, you know, I mean, sort of, so I think that that role of, of art, uh, leading to the conversation has always existed. I think that generationally where we currently are, um, this is a sad thing to say, uh, as an artist, I think there are a lot of people who abuse that. Um, I know particularly in like the late nineties, but even to a certain extent still continuing today, there are people who wanted that shock factor in their art, whether it was on a stage or in a book or in an art museum, you know, where they're, they're, they're not really causing a conversation. They're just causing people to be shocked. And, and I don't know that there's productivity in that. Um, but if you're actually creating conversation between people, if you're actually, you know, trying to build bridges uh, and, and instead of walls um, with your art, then, then it's serving its current purpose. And then, you know, historically looking back, hopefully some of the best art will serve that longer term pur- purpose of telling history. And um, yeah, I guess I guess that's that I do believe that. And I believe like there's so many times that we want to our, our news is so stinking sensationalized and everything is just so uh, extreme and divided and what does, what causes extremities and division is numbers, you know, oh, this many people died from this and, you know, this many people that and this many dollars and this many, you know, whatever diseases are, it's all, all numbers. And what I found, you know, and particularly highlighted in these pandemic years that we have found ourselves is that when you take the numbers aside, and instead you tell the stories, people listen. And, and so, yeah, it, it, it creates conversation in ways that find unity instead of highlight division. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good instinct. And I also think it's a really good fertile ground in general, you know, um, in, in, in discussing that, right. As far as like access uh, to space. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things you brought up is, is, is really interesting. I mean, I think when you talk about shock or shock for its 
uh, for its own sake. I think you get right into the debate is, yeah, sometimes, you know, what is underneath it all? And then at other times, um, you know, artists shock, you know, the whatever seems to be around. I think of when you think of um, a political protest, I, I one of the historical examples, I think, is um, one of Velasquez's pieces uh, in the British Museum. Um, and it's a Venus depiction. And the suffragettes in the 1910s or maybe 1920s in, in England, uh, I believe it was one or two of them, ran up to it and cut it through, you know, with, with, with a knife. And I've always thought about that because I think it's just so unresolved. Whereas I'm telling you the story right now in 2022 about a political act that they did so like it works right. in the sense of that but you know in the <laughs> sense of not even traditional outrage but just like art lover outrage being like you can't put knives through a, a Velasquez like don't do that but then when you do it it creates the thing so yeah. I think it's always fascinating the you know the shock of the art or yeah or sure around the the art and uh absolutely I think even lately people have been throwing these cakes at everything um, we had the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. Where somebody, oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm like, hey, why? Why? It, uh, anyways, it's a wild, it's a wild, uh, wild idea not to take us way off. The role of art, yes. Um, uh, so, um, uh, Jerry, big question, uh, name of the show. You can go any direction with this, but like, why is there why is there something rather rather than nothing from your perspective like why yeah um honestly i otherwise what's the point you know i just i i feel like uh the something is is something beyond ourselves and if if there's nothing if there's nothing beyond ourselves then none of us have a point. None of us have a point to do anything but what feels good in the moment, what, you know, is self-serving. And there there would be zero reason to not just like go out and take what I want and do what I want with no um no thought to to who's hurt in the process if there was nothing. So there has to be something, there has to be something, there has to be a reason that we don't just serve self uh, in this world that we live in. And if we're not just serving ourselves, um, then, then, then we have to serve others. There has to be something, there has to be something that connects us, something that makes us want to make the world better. And, and again, if, if not, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know if that's a, no, that's, um, that's the philosophy end point. Like what's the point of it? I think one of the funniest pieces about these absurd questions and, and, and thank you for playing Jerry, <laughs> these absurd questions. Um, I've, I've always found this is, um, and there's some people who think this about philosophy. Uh, I like to laugh and, and I do think a lot of things are just fundamentally absurd and you know mm -hmm. um so that that that's part of that's part of me and 
philosophy is so serious and so important until it breaks down and then it's not and you just end up laughing a lot around it so it's like <laughs> the idea of uh philosophy is therapy art is therapy uh morning pages is therapy writing is therapy uh, or work and work um Jerry Shepard, um, where where do we go to find uh, your stuff? We talked about the um, At Fault book. Um, tell us where to find like your website, get that sure. book, what formats in, all that stuff. Okay, I like to try to make it really easy for yes. everybody. So I just made it atfaultbook.com. When that's the first book in the series, but uh, we'll be maintaining that uh, website as it as it grows as a series. So it's at faultbook.com. We make it nice and easy. That takes you to my site. Uh, currently, it's available in uh, print as well as as an ebook. Uh, we are producing the audiobook this fall. I'm so excited. So it'll Excellent. probably be out. Yeah, it'll be out um, hopefully before the second book, which should be out next spring. And um, we also have, I have an amazing, uh, amazing um, on-retainer artist who is creating all of the incredible artifacts, the maps and the flags Love and the, the portraits. And, and some of those are going to be found there too. But, but yeah, at faultbook.com, that takes you to not just everything at fault, but uh, everything, um, you know, you can click to my backlist of books as well. Excellent. Well, that makes it that makes it nice and easy. Everybody check it out. And I think one of the things I find, too, is when, you know, here at this point, when you're starting out this series, um, it's always good to get in at the beginning. I find sometimes it's tough to catch up. So uh, get in on the Fault Lines uh, series with uh, Jerry Shepard and and, and check out the, the, the website there to find out about uh, all her other work and, and things that she uh, creates and, and, and thinks about. And uh, I got to tell you, Jerry, it's so nice to um, chat with you from uh, a place of the country of the United States that, that, that I love, uh, the Midwest and uh, Wisconsin, where um, I used to live. So it's, 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 a, it's a great pleasure to reach you out um, from there and just to hear about, you know, just meeting you and in, in your new, you know, adventures and just like really just talking about doing some cool stuff, like creating what you want and, uh, you know, um, just kind of, uh, you know, sharing, uh, your thoughts on, on philosophy. Um, really appreciate you coming on and, you know, enduring questions like, uh, something, why is this something rather than nothing, Jerry? <laughs> That's right. Ken, I promise I'll throw some of those back at you the next time uh, the next time we get to talk like this. I'm 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 really I'm always grateful to to speak to another creative and uh, you know I've, awesome. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much, Jerry. Best of luck with everything and, and it'd be good to to keep in touch and everybody check out all the other art um, Jerry was referring to and in, in, in you know the different pieces in, in addition to the book and uh, uh, thanks again, uh, Jerry, and um, uh, thanks for everything you create. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. All right. This is Something Rather Than Nothing, 